So we're in the middle of a series on Jerusalem and thinking about what Jerusalem's history and the stories of Jerusalem might mean for us as a community of believers. Last week, Daryl preached a sermon about the threat of the Assyrians on Jerusalem and Yahweh's hatred for cages. If you weren't here to hear it, I highly recommend it to you. It's a great message. This week, we move forward a few years in time, and we are going to consider the Babylonians. Take a look at the Babylonians through the lens of the people of Jerusalem. Last week, our text was from the prophet Isaiah, and this week, our scripture passage is from the prophet Jeremiah. Now, the prophet Jeremiah is living in the days before the destruction of the temple in 586 by the Babylonians. He has witnessed the collapse of the Assyrian Empire, and he has witnessed its prompt replacement by the Babylonians. The Babylonian general, who will become king, Nebuchadnezzar, crushes the Egyptians to the south of Judah, and he gains a free hand over Western Asia for the next several decades. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, regards himself as the representative on earth of Babylon's patron god, Bel Marduk. And Bel Marduk is pictured on my right, your left. There's a book that is titled Jerusalem. There's a copy of it up here at the front on the altar. Jerusalem, a biography. And in this book about Jerusalem, the historian author writes about Nebuchadnezzar, and he says Nebuchadnezzar stamped Babylon with his own aesthetic flair. So Babylon is pictured behind me, directly behind me. Nebuchadnezzar's aesthetic flair was this, grandiose gigantism tinted in his favorite color. Do you see what his favorite color was? It was royal blue, divine sky blue. And in the center of the city of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar raised a seven-story ziggurat. Can you say the word ziggurat? Ziggurat. A ziggurat is a stepped-up tower with a flat top that was built to be a foundation where heaven met earth. In Babylon, this cosmopolitan capital of the Near East, this ziggurat, the white tower up there, that's the real Tower of Babel. There it sits in Babylon. Jeremiah, Jeremiah and his contemporaries live in Jerusalem in the shadow of this empire. So our scripture passage is the first 15 verses of chapter 7 of Jeremiah. I want to read them to you. And as I read them, would you imagine that you are in the temple in Jerusalem and Jeremiah is preaching this message to you? Jeremiah stands at the gate. And these are his welcome words to you as you enter the temple in Jerusalem. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. 
Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and you deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe. Safe to do detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. Chapter 26 of this same book, Jeremiah tells us that the prophet Jeremiah preached in the court of the temple in Jerusalem, and as a result, he was put on trial for his life. Chapter 26 doesn't specifically reference this sermon that I just read for you, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is the very sermon that gets the attention of the authorities. This sermon is not exactly warm and fuzzy. It is not a feel-good message. Here in chapter 7, Jeremiah stands at the temple entrance, and he greets people with these words. Hear the word of the Lord. Reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. But if you do not listen, what I did to Shiloh, I will do to you. Now, Shiloh was a northern holy place, a northern sacred place that at one time housed the Ark of the Covenant until the Philistines came and captured it. Shiloh had long ago vanished from the history of God's people, and the belief was that Shiloh was rejected, but Jerusalem was different. Jerusalem was chosen. Jerusalem was valued and safe. A pastor friend was telling me this week how he used to play a game called King's X when he was a child. King's X is a game of tag where the cry, King's X, keeps you from being tagged or it allows you a timeout. 
So I never played King's X. We didn't play King's X in West Texas. But we did play hide-and-go-seek, where there was always a home base in hide-and-go-seek. If you made it to home base, no matter how you got there, you could crawl your way there, you could push, you could run, you could sneak, you could cheat. If you made it to home base, if you made it there, you were safe. That's what the temple, that's what the temple has become for the people of Israel. The temple has become home base for the game of life. It doesn't matter to them, Jeremiah says, what they are doing outside of the temple. What matters is that they make it there, and if they make it there, they are safe. The temple has become their security blanket. The temple has become their cry of King's X. Now, maybe you caught this. It looks to me like Jeremiah in verse 4 is mocking the people when he says, Do not trust in these deceptive words. And he repeats a phrase. He repeats a phrase as if it's the cry of the people or maybe it's the cry of some of the leaders of the temple. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. This passage has made me wonder this week about spiritual security blankets. I would say, given the context and the words of this story, a spiritual security blanket is a place that I designate as a guaranteed place where heaven meets earth. The easy answer a spiritual security blanket would be a place or a building. And I have a couple of those. I have a couple. I have a rather holy site that sits in the center of the city of Austin. It's a church that I go to about once a month. I visit with my spiritual director there. It's Episcopalian Church. They have a preschool. They have a bookstore. They have a homeless ministry. Rolling Stone magazine even named this church as one of the city's friendliest South by Southwest venues. So I'm not the only one who thinks that that's a security, uh, security blanket. There's also a desert retreat center in South Texas that houses a group of oblates that I find to be a consistent thin place. Or maybe the place for you where heaven meets earth is in a person. So it could be a particularly good Bible teacher or preacher. If this is your place, then you're looking at what that teacher is writing and you're retweeting what they're tweeting, even before processing what's being communicated. Maybe, possibly if you're like me, You've seen enough of these men and women take it on the chin. So it doesn't really take much in this day and age to put a spotlight on a pastor that's making a mistake. And so maybe you know better. Maybe you know better than to make a pastor or a a Christian teacher your uh, spiritual security blanket. But I have put a heavy burden before on a valued friend An expectation that sounds something like, be my sanctuary, be my safe place. I've put an unusually high expectation on my spouse, show up perfectly for me. 
And I put on each of my children the expectation of, by your achievements, I'll be made better. (laughs) I'll be saved. But maybe that guaranteed spiritual security blanket for you isn't a person and it isn't a place. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's a, a doctrine or a belief that is an absolute, that if anyone pushes on it, then there's trouble. There's fight. There's going to be a fight. Or there's going to be flight. So the cry sounds like this. As long as I can believe this one thing to be true, or as long as I know that th- what this one teacher thinks, or as long as I can go to this one place, then I've got it. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. And Jeremiah says to the people who are in the temple, this is a fool's game. It's a fool's game because what's happened to the temple is the temple has become fool's gold. On the outside, it's shiny and sparkly. But on the inside, Jeremiah says, it's worthless. God's people have become all about the appearance. And the living God wants more than that from you and from me. Jeremiah reviews the covenant with the people. He says, remember this relationship you have with God? Remember the covenant? In the covenant, it matters how you live your life. It's about your heart, what's on the inside that's most valuable to God. Reject the ways that harm the life of other people. Reject the ways that harm property or someone else's marriage or even someone else's reputation or name. When you don't do that, Jeremiah says, you're polluting. You're polluting the place that belongs to the living God. Verse 11 says, Has this house, which is called by my name, just become a den of thieves, a den of robbers? Now, I know I've told you the story before about what my father would say repeatedly to me when I was a teenager and I left the house. So when I was leaving the house on a Friday or Saturday night to go out with my friends, my father had a phrase that he repeated to me. We lived in a a small-ish town. And so as I left the front door, he would say, Dinah, uphold the family name. And the message I was supposed to get from him was, people out there know who I am, and they know who you are, and so act like you know who I am. Act accordingly. It is like God's people don't even know who the Father is. The Father has a phrase that is repeated in Holy Scriptures, that is repeated to prophets. And it sounds like this. It's in verse 6 of our passage. If you do not oppress the foreigner or the fatherless or the widow, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow... See, this is not the only place, Jeremiah is not the only one, to mention a stranger. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 34 sums up this phrase that is mentioned several places in Scripture. It sounds like this. Treat the stranger who journeys with you as a native among you. Love him as you love yourself. For you were strangers in Egypt And I am the Lord your God. 
remember who I am and what I did for you. And Jesus told his disciples that the Son of Man will say to those that he welcomes into the joy of the Master, he will say this, I was a stranger. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. The 10th chapter of Deuteronomy says, The Lord your God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. So what we are commanded to do as a part of the covenant is the very quality of the divine. It describes who God is. There's a prayer in the Psalms, it's Psalm 68, that starts like this. Father of the fatherless, protector of the widows. And then there's this painting that I wanted to show to you. I've been looking at it for the last couple of weeks. I found it online and I keep going back to it. The title of it is The Widow's Might. So this, I believe, is pretty descriptive of what a widow would look like in Jesus' day. A widow in Jesus' day would have a young child. Okay, so that is revelatory to me because my Sunday school teacher when I was a child and taught me this story about the widow's mite had a picture of an old lady. And I, I guess that that's because that's who the widows were in our congregation, in the, in the place where I grew up. But this widow... She looks like she bears the burden of what it would be like to be a widow. She's a bit unkempt. She has a child that she's responsible for. And there's something vaguely familiar about her with the white veil, I think, is the key. She looks a little bit like the Virgin Mary, right? Jesus is pictured off in the white robe. Look how Jesus in white honors her and notices her. Repeatedly in the Bible, God says, and the people hear the importance of the widow and the stranger and the orphan. It's the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the widow, the orphan. Not the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Really, Jeremiah's warning is pretty predictable. This idea of compassion and covenant, it's not new to the Israelites. The temple, when the temple becomes a place of control and a place of indifference, whenever that happens in the history of God's people, Whenever the temple becomes a place of indifference and a place of control, we can look for shakeup to happen. I was talking this week with a friend about my gardening efforts, looking for some direction. And I learned, I, the girls, my daughters gave me um, a container of succulents for Mother's Day, and so I've been trying to figure out how to take care of them. But I learned about succulents is that you can trim one, just trim the top right off, and put it in good soil. And if you put it in good soil with good sun, then the trimming that you've made is going to take root and grow there. 
I'm already testing it out. I got a bag of good soil yesterday morning, and I could tell it was good soil because the dogs would not leave it alone. Because you know it's in good soil, right? It's just junk. And so the dogs were all over that. And to me, it tells me about the importance of good soil is that we can factor in the junk of our lives. The junk of our lives can become transformed and become good when exposed to the right elements, when exposed to light. And I wonder if this is what Jeremiah is telling the people of Jerusalem. What Jeremiah is telling the people of Jerusalem just might be tend your soil. God's people have such great potential. They have the ability to recover and thrive and grow. But they need a fertile place to soak their roots. Shiny on the outside and empty and decaying on the inside just won't work. My study Bible is a a first century study Bible. And the claim that the commentary makes uh, is that Jesus quotes this particular passage in Jeremiah in Matthew. And when he quotes it, when he says, you have made my house of prayer a den of robbers, it's that very quote from Jeremiah that gets him arrested just a few days later. In every age... This warning comes to the places that we thought were guarantees. The places that we think are guaranteed, but they possess no life, no breath of the living God. Shrines that do not value what is truly holy, but instead value control. The control of power, and they show indifference to those who are in need. need. Those are the places that should hear the cry of Jeremiah, because we worship a living God. May our worship reveal God's very nature and God's very ways. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. For you, compassion is indeed perfection. Would you relieve us of our false notions about perfection, that we need to look the exact right way or act the exact right way? And this day, Lord, would you create in us pure hearts that freely worship and freely give to those our world calls strangers? Because for you, there is no difference between a stranger and a neighbor. Fill our sacred spaces with those who wander and those who are without. May they find in each of us a generous friend. And together, I am certain, we will find you dwelling with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.